it's a fundamental right that we all have, but it's something that we should take a long time to think about if we're serious. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Huge thanks to all the survivors who have joined me here on the podcast since we launched in the summer of 2020 and to everybody who listens. Thank you. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And if you check out the show notes, you will see a link, another way to reach out and leave us a recorded message. You will also see some information on how to leave us a financial contribution. We are trying to expand. We are trying to get into more places and reach more people so that they feel hopefully a little less shitty and a little less alone. And we could use your help. And oh, by the way, I want to thank somebody who did reach out to us and leave us a financial contribution on one of those links. They don't give me your name or any information. So if you're out there and you hear this, thank you. Finally, we are talking about suicide on this podcast, as the title suggests. It's probably not for everybody, so take that into account before or as you listen. But I do hope you listen, because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Brett. Brett lives in Florida, and he is a suicide attempt survivor. My man, Brett in Florida. What's up? How you doing, Sean? Good morning. Good morning. What area? What area are you in? Um, about 30, 40 minutes east of Orlando near uh, Kennedy Space Center. But you're not an astronaut. No, I could do some work out there with the degree I have, but uh, I just no motivation. I have a uh, bachelor's degree in environmental science and natural resources. All mm-hmm. I needed was just a couple more classes and I could have had a associates in GIS for like mapping and whatnot. Are you a uh, are you a spy? No. No, I'm a Native American. <laughs> that was fucking great. I mean, those are the two options people usually have in life. They either are Native American or spies. And you're a Native right. American. You choose Native American. <laughs> I would choose that every time, of course. I mean, I've spoken to, I think, one person who was Native up in Alaska. Uh, you hear shit. You hear stuff in places, in the news and elsewhere. And you're like, yo, we did some serious fucking damage. And it's funny you mentioned that because it, it, that it sort of ties into the, to my story a little bit because uh, it, like I was born and raised in Florida. I'm Apache Navajo. I'm a sixth generation descendant to Geronimo. No shit. Uh, Wait, well, you don't rush through that comment. You are related to Geronimo? Yes, the Geronimo. Literally yes. the Geronimo. One of the few and, natives we actually look up to in this culture and say, wow, you're a, he was a great guy. Uh, his uh, his real name was Goyasle. He was mostly in Arizona, but he would go down into Mexico for raids and whatnot. Uh, he would also venture to New Mexico as well. He mostly stayed to the Southwest. 
And then uh, near the end of the 1800s, during the, uh, the, the end of the Apache Wars, he was shipped out here to Florida, where he did some time in St. Augustine at the, the fort out there. But then a lot of the Apaches were dying out here because of the climate. They're not used to the high humidity. Right. So they started moving him further out west, and he never made it past uh, Oklahoma. And that's where he passed away at. It was 1904 is when he passed away out there. He's still buried out there to this day. You're in Florida. Your name is Brett. I'm guessing was your born given name not Brett? No, it was. Was it? It, it was my legal name. Mm, from day one, your name was Brett. Yes. I don't feel like that's a super kind of, what is it, Apache Navajo you said mm, you were? I am, but my dad is uh, Dutch-Irish. My mother was the one who's full Native American. How did they meet? High school. Yeah, they were high school sweethearts out here in Florida. Uh, got married. Sadly, she's no longer with us. She passed away in 2016, mm. which was sort of like the the where everything really started to go downhill for me. Okay. She didn't really know she was Native, actually, until the early 90s. Wow. She was adopted out of the the family, like our, our our tribe. It was a bill. It was an act that was signed through Congress that mm-hmm. saw the uh, relocation of Native American children, whether yeah. by being kidnapped or uh, adoptions. Well, she was one of the ones that were kidnapped. Mm-hmm. She was stolen out of the hospital at four months old, put into an adoption agency. So she basically... Government sanctioned or authorized the kidnapping of little children so white or at least non-native parents could have a child. Yes. Yeah. But uh, she was adopted out by a very kind woman who did actually a lot of really good, good work, not just here in the U.S., but in other countries as well. She's no longer with us as well. She passed away in uh, 2006. My grandmother, we'll just say she would be my grandmother. Right, right. Yeah, she didn't know she was native or who she was descendant of until the early 90s. When uh, the Hunter epidemic was happening, a lot of the Navajos were dying from it. And the first two that passed away from it were direct family to us. So that's how they reached out and were able to track my mom down. They recontacted her. And when we got that phone call, it was it was crazy because it was just who's this man on the phone talking this language I've never heard of before. And this but is when uh, about 93 when we got that phone call and we reconnected that way and. So it was it was crazy learning like a whole different side of like who we were. Yeah. What year were you born? 1988, December. 93, you're four or five years old. Your family yep. learns your history. Until then, you didn't really know about it. Yep. And you'd said that it all ties in. When was your first attempt? Uh, my first actual attempt would be about 16. So... You got that call when you were four or five years old. Can you give us sort of an overview of what your life's like? And I know this is challenging from that point to the first attempt. It was 10 or 12 years. I endured a lot of bullying in school because I was tan. I was a slight larger kid. Like if I was to be in a gym today, I could be a pro wrestler. You know, I'm big, dude. You're big, you're big six, guy. three, 300 plus pound, you know. I got a lot of bullying, like not just like, you know, name calling, but I was getting jumped by multiple people multiple times. And they never told me why. They would just beat me down. And I would try to tell the staff and my parents. Nobody wanted to believe me. 
They said everything that was happening to me sounded too crazy. So dealing with the school I went to when I was in like fourth grade, when we were really starting to learn how to write, my teacher would take my pen and slap me in the hand when she'd see me writing left-handed. I'd be like, I'm native. I'd like to grow my hair long. And they'd say, no, you can't grow your hair long. That'd be a distraction to the class. So I would have to deal with things like that from the staff. Probably about a football field throw from me right now. Oh, wow. The same school is close to you. I'm still living in my childhood home with my dad. Oh, got to take care of pops. Yeah, man. The memories of that school never leave you. Oh, yeah. So dealing with that for so many years and trying to report it, you know, they're always saying you need to speak out, report bullying. Mm -hmm. Well, it's hard when the staff says you're lying because the bully that you're accusing said he didn't do that. So we're going to believe the big kid over you. Oh, you have a knife in your pocket because that's a weapon of defense. Oh, you're suspended now. So we must tell your parents that you brought a knife to school, even though it was for my defense. Right. To fight off bullies. My dad would be like, you stole my knife. So he would beat me down for that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, people talk about that all the time. Speak up, speak out, share. It's like, no, no, there's a reason why sometimes people aren't doing that. Tell somebody that you're you're having dark thoughts or however you want to frame it. Nine times out of 10, how most people act, you wouldn't you just wouldn't go to them again and say that ever again. They've made it very clear. Nah, 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 nah. High school near your current home. You're taking care of your dad. 16 years old. Yeah, I have. It was a trigger. It was something I was watching. Like I was just watching a show mm. and the kid, the character in the show was basically endured everything that I went through in school. Mm-hmm. And in the end of the episode, he ended up trying to take his life in the mm-hmm. backyard of his crush's house, you know, and that triggered me real hard because of course my trust, my crushes in school never would have given me at the time of day. And it just flooded all those memories back from elementary. So I ended up tying a rope up into the uh, air vent of my ceiling, put my head through the rope and just kind of started leaning the weight into it. Mm -hmm. You can stop it if you want, but that pressure keeps getting stronger. Yeah. Like I said, I'm a big dude. So if I'm putting pressure down, it's there's pressure. So I ended up going all the way to where I about blacked out and I ended up just putting my feet down, so to say. And I pulled long enough to pull the thing off my neck and I fell over on the bed and I passed out. Question. As best you can recall, why did you do it that way and not do it so that you couldn't go back if even if you wanted to? Like I said, it was just it was a trigger. It was just just that switch turned on and it just so I I stopped myself before I, you know, before I lost it. Yeah. Well, for like a week, though, I had a bruise around my neck. And I had to hide that from everybody. So nobody would ask me, where'd that come from? Well, I didn't tell anybody because I knew nobody would really care to listen. Like 16, I had a bad, I was also dealing with drugs and alcohol at the time. You know, I was running with, you know, some rough punk rockers, so to say. Oh, you were a punk rocker? Oh, yeah. You know, train tracks, beer bottles, you know, things like that. It was, it, it was kind of good because I did have people close by, but... When they're pounding down the alcohol it's and blasting the rock and roll 24-7, it's kind of hard to be like, hey, I'm not <laughs> feeling so good. Hey, guys, let, let the train pass. All right, hey, can you guys turn the music down? Yeah, I got to tell you how I feel. Not so good today. Were your friends mostly white dudes? Yeah. Your crushes were white girls? Yeah. 
They didn't like you? No. So dealing with all that and but 16, like I said, it was a trigger. I stopped myself. Yeah. Life went on after that. Yeah. Trying to hide it and dealing with everything going on around me, drugs, alcohol, friends of mine dying on me from the drugs and alcohol, people going to jail. People are still in jail. You don't live on a reservation, right? I did actually, but that's further down the road. I'm, I'm 33 now. Just so that time though, what you're talking about, isn't really a reflection of native culture. That's just me. Poor poor, poor white kids in Florida culture. Mm -hmm. I went to school in Florida. I know Florida. I know there's a problem in a lot of places. I'm assuming, was it a meth thing mostly? No pills, pain pills, alcohol. Oh, was that the oxy shit? Oh yeah. The pain meds. I never messed with that meth stuff. You lost, and I mean lost, I mean they're dead friends. Yes. And others are in jail. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you stayed out of that sort of circle enough to not go to jail and not almost die from stuff like that. Yes. I saw the limits and I was pushing, I pushed back on that. I've got away from all that. I I saw the, I saw the way they were going and I wanted to make a change. Right. Right. Well, this is kind of very much related to what we're talking about. Cause some people could say at 16, you tried and some kids might say, Oh, that's a way to do it. And I'm going to have some fun on the way. I'm going to be with my friends. I'm going to die. I want to die anyway. But you weren't that. You're like, nah, that's not how I want to do this. It was like, yes, no, yes, no. Yeah. I have that. I have that power in the hands. I'm on that brink of what like, could happen. What happens after? So you go to sleep, you wake up. How you feeling? Very sore on the neck. I feel yeah. very, not sick, but I just feel very embarrassed at myself. Like, how am I going to explain this ring around my neck? You still have it? No, no, it's gone. It's, it's been many years since then. Did you uh, tell anybody that you did that? Not to anybody. You're literally the first I've ever told. So that was 17 or so years ago. Yes. First time today. First time. Wow. Kind of feel honored in a weird way. Trust me. I, I don't talk to anybody about how I feel anymore. Like I, I keep it all inside. And it, gets, it just gets even worse after that. Yeah, for sure. I tried to move away from all that bad stuff. You know, everybody was like, you need to change your life. If you want to get out of that, you need to do something. So I got to work. I started working, making money, started getting away from all that. And then all of a sudden, my friends started pushing away from me. I was like, okay, why are they pushing me out of the circle? Oh, it's because I'm not dealing in drugs anymore. Did you finish high school? Oh, yeah. I got expelled, though. It was a whole ordeal. But I graduated, got my diploma. Yeah, it took me a long time to snap out of that around high school. But in college is where it really started coming back. Why is that? You know? Because when college came, I was li- I was already living on the reservation. Now, hang on. How'd you go from not living on a reservation to a reservation? I remember I, was li- I grew up in Florida. Yeah. I never went to the res. I live our res- The Navajo Reservation is in Arizona, New Mexico. Uh-huh. So I relocated to Colorado for a little bit, but then stuff happened out in Colorado, which was my second attempt out there. How old were you? I was like 23. That one was a little more extreme, though. What? So you went to Colorado for, uh, initially to sort of live on the res or reconnect with? Make my way back. Get away from the bad stuff in Florida. Yeah. Branch out and then head to the reservation. But when I was living, because I went from Florida to Colorado down to New Mexico. Right. But when I was in Colorado, things got real bad. Alcohol got wicked bad. 
like I was waking up with receipts for like 80 to $90 in my pockets. And I'd be like, where's the alcohol? I want to have a drink. Oh, you drank it all. Well, how much are you drinking? I was drinking like the handles, those big old half gallon bottles of like Jim Beam and Captain Morgan on a weekend. Mm-hmm. Probably like Friday, Saturday nights, those on top of a, a lot of beer. Like, Alone? Sp- with parties, but the people I was partying with did not like whiskey. Oh. So all of the whiskey was mine. And one night I just got real, I, everyone's the, the police report said that I had gotten blacked out and called them and challenged them to a fight that I had actually charged down their car on foot, like literally wanting to go out by, by police. And I woke up in the hospital the next day after all that, the heart monitors woke me up the, the beeping and I was on a blood soaked bed. The, I thought I was in a car crash, but when the nurses said that the police brought me in and I, I felt really, I don't know. I didn't know how to feel except that my head hurt really badly. Mm. What happened? Do you know what happened? Around the time my friends again were sort of pushing me away and people were hooking up, you know, and not being like, you know, Hey, we're going to, we're going to start dating, you know? So it's, so we're going to, they wouldn't be straightforward about, you know, what they're doing instead of, you know, sneaking around, making things feel awkward, you know? It's like, oh, great. You can't tell me exactly what's going on. You'd rather just keep me out of the loop. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't belong. And that was always the notion of not belonging. That's a killer, man, for sure. Then that, 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 that was, that was my second attempt right there. I was trying to go out by cop and I still have the head injury by from that night. Like I still got the scar and whatnot. So wait, you'd said that they told you that, but you're not sure if that happened, that going out by cop. They told me that I I called that I was uh, very upset about something. I called them and was yelling at them that I'm going to do such. I'm going to I'm going to kill you. I'm going to fight you and all that, you know, and then that when they actually drove into the complex that I, I charged their cars on foot, that my friends were chasing me behind me and, and that all the cops had their guns on me. And and so just to be clear, the goal was. When you say death by cop, what that means is you do something. So it's a very high likelihood the police will shoot you. And particularly in the United States, they shoot to kill. They don't shoot to maim. They don't shoot to stop you from rushing. They'll just kill you. That's what we do here. Let's just call it what it is. And when you see a guy that sticks six, three and looking like Hulk Hogan, not Hulk Hogan, but you know, how how big in the shoulders that guy is. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that that looks very intimidating. And everybody said that uh, there was like nine cars that all had their guns drawn on me. That it, it, it was wild. Do you think you wanted to die? I honestly do. I, I honestly do. Because I there's no other reason why I would have done such a thing. Literally after that, I, I left Colorado. I was done. How long were you there for? Uh, about a year and a half. You probably put your liver to work. Too much work. You're a big guy. Drink. You got to drink more. <laughs> I drink more. But but being a big dude, you probably already have some health challenges. Maybe. I, not necessarily. I don't go to the doctor, so I have no idea. Right, right. I think a lot of people do that. They're like, yeah, I don't want to know. Those are the two attempts. Uh, not that the whole conversation needs to be focused on that, but it's part of the conversation. Here's what I think. I think when you try at 16 and then you're dealing with life and then you go to Colorado and you're trying again and then you make it to New Mexico... I know you haven't tried since, 
life could get better for sure. It does happen that way, especially, hey, man, you're going to a reservation. Maybe you're connecting with your people. It could be profoundly different, but I don't think it usually works that way is all I'm saying. I thought it was going to be exactly that, that things were going to get better. I was going to reconnect with family. I was going to learn a lot about myself and my heritage. And then I felt so much more alone Mm. because I lived on the reservation for five years. I lived, uh, I went to a college university out there. That's where I got my college degree. And when I say I lived in the middle of the desert, your nearest Walmart was 70 miles away. That's the, that's what people use to know these days. How close is the closest Walmart? Well, how close was the closest place you could buy, you know, bottled water? Oh, the gas station. Short. It was, we had one, no, we had two gas stations and one little plaza strip, like your grocery store, your dialysis center, your check loaning office, and your, your random family owned restaurant. This is a reservation. Yes. So what was the name of the reservation? The Navajo reservation. A once thriving community. Yeah, it's 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 pretty uh, desolate. It's third world people out there don't have some people don't have electricity. Some people live so far out that they don't even speak English. Do they have access to decent food? Some. A lot of the times, like depending on how far out onto the land you are, you'll have crop growing, you'll have cattle, uh, but you will have to haul your water. Uh, no plumbing. Where so, do you guys take care of that business? Dig a hole, put the outhouse on top of it. When I lived with one, I dated two girls in New Mexico. The first girl, she lived in a hogan that was built out of log and mud with a dirt roof. But just to be clear, (laughs) now you're dating the native girls. Oh, I did out there. I fell in love with native women, but then I realized how rough some of them can be. Rough how? Uh, They might beat you up. (laughs) They're not beating you up. You're a big guy. No, no. they'll, They'll beat up my mind, not my physical body. The women out there are strong. They're fighters. Oh, fuck you up. Yep. Uh, well, the first one, she was, she lived in a Hogan way out in the middle of nowhere. You know, I had to pack mud at times along the logs to keep the heat in because all we had was a wood stove. You know? She lived alone? With her, it was her and her son. And I, I was a stepdad. Her parent, Her mom lived a little ways up the hill. Wow. Was that your first girlfriend? Out there? Yeah. I mean, what's it like to go from feeling the way you were feeling for quite a while and then having somebody like that? I, f- I felt better. Yeah, that's <laughs> amazing how that works, right? I felt better, you know, but then she turned out to be uh, something that she did claimed to not be. Right. You know, she had a lot of trust issues. I'm a trusting guy. I'm a very humble guy. I try to be humble. I'm very honest. Some people say I'm stupid about being honest. All right, you could be too honest. You should. There's things you shouldn't say. I'm that kind of guy. We know it didn't work out. And you stay there for five years. You get a degree. And why do you leave New Mexico? Because the second girl that I, da- I was dating, mm-hmm. I was also a stepdad to, for her daughter as yep. well. But right. her and I were seeing each other for like good three years. Wow. I got a phone call saying, hey, Brett, your mom's dying. You need to fly back to Florida overnight. You know, so I fly back to Florida overnight to go literally see my mom pass. And that was the most the hardest still to this day. Thinking about it is still the hardest thing to, to even remember. I was still in the relationship and I said, I'll be back. The school gave me two weeks. I was also in college at the same time. So the school said I have two weeks leave to spend time with family. Mom passes literally the morning after I get back into the state. 
the day after the girl I was dating accused me of cheating based on a dream she had. Mm. And then she cornered me by saying, oh, if you disagree, you're insulting my traditional views and my family's his, uh, holy views and thoughts. And oh, we white people have a word for that. You know what it is? Hmm. Gaslighting, baby. Yes. Yeah. She so that's what she did. And because, you know, me, honest Brett, you know, I just literally okay. took everything. She said that I was the problem that how do I know you're not cheating? It's like. You're, that thing, I'd point at her chest, that heart right there. And she would take that as me insulting her and downplaying her opinion and thoughts and views. And it's kind of a no-win situation. Mm-hmm. Family from New Mexico drove all the way out here for celebration of life. You know, my family, not mm-hmm. hers. Mm-hmm. So I go back to New Mexico after all that. Go back to school. We do not talk. We are done. We are mm. broken up. It was bad. It was a bad fall. So she goes around the school and says that, oh, I was the controlling one. I was the bad one. She was at the school. She went to the same school I did. She stole half of my property because I was living with her and she had to return my property, but she stole half of it. Still to this day, I've, I've never gotten it back. You know, I finished college with the best I could, you know, after dealing with mom's passing and everything that the girl put me through. This might sound a little cheesy, but then in 2017, when Chester Bennington took his his life, that mm-hmm. really just crushed me like mm. even harder. All of those things piled on to each other. So that's why it made me leave New Mexico. I just couldn't bear being by myself. Yeah. Because at the end of the night, or at the end of the college, it was me by myself in my dorm. After everything I had just endured. Right. It was just me and my thoughts. What was the name of the school you went to? Navajo Technical University. NTU, baby. NTU. You know what I'm talking about? Do they have a mascot? NTU. Skyhawks. The NTU Skyhawks. Oh, yes. Brett is showing me Navajo Technical U Sky, Skyhawk Radio. 107.3 FM, KCZY. That's my, that's my radio yes. voice. Yes. Oh, shoot. Now I can't turn the thing back. But it was a great school. I got a great education there. You know, the the school helped me go all across the country doing competitions. And I competed at 4AHEX, which is American Indian Higher Education Consortium. Once a year, students from each college will compete in different events. I competed in uh, hand games, which is native drumming and singing, as well as playing hide and seek with objects. And then uh, I also competed in the Poetry Slam, which I actually won. I freestyled my entire poetry slam. Everybody else had paper notes. I just went up there with four titles in my head that I thought of. You're like Eminem. You're literally, you're the Navajo Eminem. That's my nickname for you. Well, I'm not slim. (laughs) Well, you're a little shady though. Hey, hello. Hey, what's up? That's pretty cool, man. So you were involved. So here's what I hear. And I could be wrong. You're involved with stuff. You're doing stuff. You're meeting people. You're competing. You're traveling. That's kind of cool. I'm trying to better myself. I'm trying to be more involved. Instead of like sit here isolated in my thoughts, I'd rather try to get out and do things with others. You, You dated two women that you specifically mentioned in New Mexico, right? Yes. They, I know they don't ever find out or you never share with them about your first attempt because I'm the only one who knows about it, apparently. The second attempt's a little different because it was more public. The people there know, obviously know about it. They might not call it a suicide attempt. 
uh, you do. Do you ever have that conversation with them? Does that ever come up? Or are you just like, past is the past. That's my shit. We all joke about it now. We all joke about that night, but they don't know about the first attempt. They know about the police thing, but uh, I, I mentioned it like how we can't tell people things anymore because they joke about it now. Mm. That's one of the things I've been forced to joke about is, oh, yeah, you got drunk. You did this. You acted like an idiot. Oh, ha, ha. See, I guess what I'm trying to better understand, like, is there anybody at that time? And it may also apply to, to today where you can have whether you're dating them, a friend, a coworker, I don't whoever, where you can actually say things are not good or I'm having some difficult thoughts or I want to tell you about this time when I almost ended my life. Is there anybody in the world to do that with one? No. Like when I made, when I moved back to Florida, all my friends, that's where I'm at now, obviously. Yeah. When I came back here after everything out West, all the, I had to start over with like, you know, making new friends and I never really actually started over. I just kind of went straight into the work field. And so everybody I know in my circle now is just all coworkers. What kind of work are you doing? I am a pantry chef at a local family owned uh, restaurant. It's a very well-known restaurant. What does a pantry chef mean as opposed to a sous chef or a regular chef? Pantry chef is a fancy word. I work in a deli. Yes, it's a fancy phrase to put. It it looks good on paper, pantry chef, but it's really I work in a deli. You make a kick-ass sandwich, I have no doubt. Oh, yeah. You want an avocado a go-go? I got you. Now, I'm going to ask a question that might be annoying. When you're in college and you're studying and you said it was environmental science? Yes. And natural resources. I'm going to guess... You weren't thinking down the line, you're going to be a pantry chef. Nothing wrong with being a pantry chef at all. But I don't think that's what you were probably thinking. So when you finally get back to Florida sort of permanently, what's going on that you sort of go that way as opposed to the other way? Confidence. Yeah. When you get pushed down so many times, it's like, why bother getting back up? Right. I'm just going to take what I can get and do what I can. I, I admire that in a weird way. I know people might not, might not, but I'm like, but you're trying. I'm trying my hardest. Like I clock in at two o'clock. I clock out at like 1030 at night. What do you do after you're done? I sit in the parking lot for like 30 minutes and just kind of collect my thoughts. Like everybody else takes off real fast or they head straight into the, because we have a full stock bar. So usually when people clock out, they head straight to the bar. I'm not much of a drinker anymore. I could make a six pack last like two months. So I, I sit in the car. Well, when and when people are going to the bar, they're not just drinking; they're socializing. It gets rowdy. <laughs> a Florida bar, being the floor, being the sober guy in a Florida bar. Oh, that's kind of like, scary. Sounds not fun. So you chill. You go home. You're not drinking. You're not drugging. I say uh, I consume cannabis. That's like literally the only thing. That's it. Because I always wonder how people cope with their challenges. Right. I listen to a lot of music. Music yeah. is a very important. It's very important to me. It's one of the things that's really helped me keep going. When I'm really in it, like when I'm really in, I guess you could say in it, in my head, I'll sit here and I'll just play my guitar. And I'm not a good guitar player, but I played bass for 17 years. So I figure, why not play guitar? That's impressive, man. Oh, yeah, and I, I quit cigarettes as well. I smoked cigarettes for 20 years. So I've, I've been like going on three years of no cigarettes. Whoa, whoa, so that, whoa. I'm that, doing the math here. You were 10 when you started? 11. No way. Yeah. 
little bad boy, bad boy Brett in Florida is smoking and starting. He's drinking and he's carousing. He's not getting the white girls, but the punk rocker. So you're not a punk rocker anymore. No, I got out of the punk scene just because a lot of them were dying and going to jail. It was a, it was a vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have a little fun while it lasts, but you know, doesn't last usually. When you get back to Florida, because it, it's interesting, you had the, you went across the country, you were in the competitions. You get back to Florida, it, it kind of sounds like, and that was like 2017. Uh, yeah, 2017. I was in college. 2018 is when I graduated. Mid 2018, I came back here. And you're helping your dad out. He's older. And he's dealing with depression as well because mom's not here anymore, neither. All the while, are are you, and maybe you can even speak for your dad, but I know those are two different conversations. Do you ever see therapist, counselor, somebody somebody who gets paid to kind of help you? No. It's expensive. Would you have done it if you could have? If there could have been a therapist or a doctor who I could have paid to gone and seen, it would have been Dr. Kevorkian. (laughs) Right. But that, I mean, it's a little, it's a little uh, joke, not a joke, joke, but it's like, I really researched like the thought, the the topic of suicide is what's happening now these days. It's on my mind all the time, but not as in like the act of doing it. It's researching like the doctor death, the assisted suicide doctor researching in like, why is that not an actual thing? Right. I guess one of the things that I was thinking about was after your second attempt and that's been you know like 10 years ago or, or, or mas or menos wait but are, are you ideating a lot i know you hadn't tried again are you thinking about it is it getting close is it hard is it you know that kind of thing a lot of ideating so i'm wondering why you tried the two times and then you can go through 10 years up until this moment and you don't try again what changes if anything mindset like that that picture back there yeah uh, it's wendy o williams she she was the singer of the plasmatics she ultimately in the end took her own life but in her note she mentioned that it's a fundamental right that we all have but it's not but it's something that we should take a long time to think about if we're serious mm. and that right there is what was like that makes a little bit of sense like if you're serious about it you should think about it who's going to find you you know who's going to you know deal with all of those the finances this is the this is the hard part like discussing it i guess you could say like how i'm trying to piece it together like is it bad is it good but that's why i always come back to we have a fundamental right i know i i agree with you i do agree with you 100% i do so that's i guess where you could say i am at cuz thinking about everything in the whole picture of my life looking further down the road 10 15 years it's hard to say cuz i've never really been good at thinking where are you going to be in the next 10 years yeah, so I had no idea. Ten years down the road, after that time in Colorado, you and I would be having this this discussion. So when you came back in 2018, is it fair to say you kind of like you're with your dad, you're taking care of your dad, you get the job? It felt like you lost some hope. Yeah, like the motivation is no longer there anymore. Like to really branch out, like to I don't yeah. know. Well, I already did it. I traveled all across the country. I met all sorts of amazing people. I did all sorts of crazy things. Some things I regret, some things I don't. Right. You know, I've participated in movements, look back on and kind of giggle about. I had an opportunity to be at Standing Rock uh, Occupation. I got to see a bunch of my friends go up there, you know, when the oil companies were invading the Dakotas. Yeah. Uh, the Sioux land. They wanted me there. I told them no, because I'll end up fighting. So I didn't go with them. 
Are your friends native mostly? Out West, yes. I still try to keep in contact with my friends out West, but it's kind of hard to do just only through, hey, how you doing? Ding. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then a lot of them aren't the kind to be like, oh, God, why is he video calling me? <laughs> so it's, it's kind of hard to stay fully connected again. Do you have people you hang out with there or are you mostly doing things alone? I mostly do things alone. You hang out with your dad? I hardly see him. Your dad, yeah. Because he works, he goes to work in the morning. I go to work at 1.30, I come home, he's asleep, and it's like that every night. I only get to see him, like, Sundays. Is he a suicide risk, do you think? I worry about him. I uh, I really do. I don't think he would take his own life, but he's been drinking a lot more, so... There's patterns you can start to see. I see, I see. It's, it's, you know, you start the... to see, like, there's more booze being drunk. There's more head injuries he's getting because he falls over. Oh, really? Yes. He's like 64, 65. He's very, I don't want to say conservative, but he's a, he has that type of mind. His parents like were children during the, the Great Depression. Right. So he's he was raised up with that type of mindset, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, he's probably not the one to have these kinds of conversations with. No. He, I tried to mention it and one time, and he's brushed it off like <laughs> suicide's not a thing nobody does that he's extremely close-minded well i mean it's close-minded and then it's factually inaccurate but i'm not gonna rip on your dad so i can't talk to him about anything he has no idea nothing nothing so a lot of people doesn't sound like know about what you go through nobody nobody Which knows prob- about you and i talking well, I was going to ask who knows about you joining me here and who will know, like, do you think you'll let people know about this conversation? And it's going to be out to the world. Not that the whole world hears it, but I'd like the world to hear it. That's, that's what kind of brought me into reaching out to you is hearing everybody's stories, whether their attempts were like more recent than mine. Right. Or, you know, or where are they at now compared to how long it's been since their last attempt? I felt like it was a community that, that I could, uh, I could at least just throw my, here's, here's my story here. You can just file this into it with everybody else's stories, not feel so alone. Do you think that you'll tell people like your dad or maybe your ex or whoever else, hey, listen to this? Now, my ex from New Mexico, the second girl, I did actually mention your podcast to her once, but I told her it's a really good podcast. Appreciate you it. said you're having, you know, different thoughts. Maybe you should take a listen. Hmm. Okay. But she doesn't know anything about me reaching out. So I have no idea if she's listening. I have no idea. Her and I haven't spoken in a couple of years. I kind of want to keep it that way. Wait, but how did you even find the podcast? Do you, do you recall? I was driving for my last job I had. I was delivering. I was driving a box truck or a flatbed, delivering a bunch of stuff. And when mm-hmm. you're on the road driving for so many hours, your music gets kind of boring after a while. Yeah. So I started typing in podcasts and it was one of those days where I was in it, you know, I was in my head. So I just typed in, I wonder what will happen if I type in suicide into the podcast. Is Google going to ping me the suicide prevention hotline? They will. Or is it going to link up a bunch of different radio stations that'll have not suicide, but depressing or, you know, not as cheerful music. Well, when it came <laughs> up to suicide, when I saw suicide noted, I was like, that's interesting. Is that a podcast where they read people's suicide notes? 
Oh, that's that's interesting. Right. That could be that could have been it. And so I clicked on it and I started listening. I was like, whoa, this is different. This uh-huh. isn't them reading suicide notes. This is almost the temptees reading their own in a way. That's how I kind of took it at first. Like, this isn't they're they're telling their their wow. Because in your note, you're gonna write a story, you know, because I've read countless suicide notes that I've been able to find online. There's not many. Yeah, yeah, there's not many. And for people that you wish that there were, there's not. And uh, so, but a lot of them tell stories a little bit. Sure. And that's what made me think of storytelling. I've always been a decent storyteller. Maybe, no, I can't reach out to it. No. <laughs> oh, there was like a battle, an internal battle. Yes. It was like, no, my stories don't lie. My story wouldn't fit. So I didn't know whether that's why it took me so long to reach out. I was doubting myself. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't know that it took a long time. And like when I, I think I first, when I first followed the the podcast uh, Twitter page was when I first wanted to reach out. It was, it was like a little over a year ago and you followed me back too. I did see that, but that's, that's how I, I found the podcast. I just felt like, and that's how I thought it was just so interesting. And to this day, I'm still, even after this, I'm still going to, listen to the pod. I'm not, I'm probably going to skip over mine just because well, Sure. <laughs> I think what happened like in the last couple of weeks that you went from just listening and thinking about contacting me to actually contacting me, like, do you have any idea what happened? Cause there must've been like some change. No, it was late at night after work. It was a rough day at work. It was like a nine hour over a nine hour shift on my feet. I had been racially discriminated by some customers. So that triggered you know, great. I don't even belong out here. Again, I was in my head late at night listening to the podcast. Like I said earlier, people that were someone that was telling their story, their attempt was like so many years ago, but they felt compelled to uh, reach out still and tell. And that's what made me, maybe, uh, I could, okay. maybe, maybe I could tell my story. Like, is there a time limit, time gap between a last attempt to now? Those are the types of things that were in my head. Right, right, right. But for what it's worth, I'm still figuring this stuff out, too. I don't know always. I'm like, oh, that's a really good question. No, there's no time limit. That's why I like your, your, like in the intro, it's like to have good discussions and learn how to have better discussns. I like that. That's what it's about. And it's a big part of it. Because nobody discusses it. It's meta. We're discussing the discussion. You know? Yeah, I, and I enjoy. Who's the I slam mean, poet now, Skyhawk? I got to ship you my title belt. <laughs> can I be a punk poet? Is that a thing? If you can write it, you're a poet. I want to be a punk poet, an old white punk poet. You got to shake your fist around and have a yeah. Okay. Punk rock. <laughs> Do you know what the Navajo Nation's perspective, if any, is on suicide? I've thought about that too, and uh, it's it's sort of frowned upon. Uh, there's not really much outreach for things like that. And because you mentioned that, I actually have a friend about a year ago who took her own life out there, and that's actually one of the leading things that's happening on the reservation is suicide. It's been on the rise, especially ever since COVID started. Yep. By and large, they're already a greatly marginalized group of human beings. When you see the conditions out there, I mean, I recommend it. If you're ever in the Southwest, cruise through. Can you just drive through a reservation? Yes. Yes. It's not a gated community. <laughs> you have no idea how many people in my life I've asked, what do you think the reservation yeah, is? Yeah, we don't know. And I was like, do you think it's like a gated community where you got to shine your, your, your tribal card? 
and you'd be surprised how many people say, well, I thought it was like at least a trailer park or something. What is it? You're, you're looking at, it's the biggest land allotment that's been given to a tribe. You're talking from like Phoenix, Arizona, all the way to like, just say from Phoenix to Albuquerque is Navajo Nation. I mean, that's a very broad spectrum, but when you map, when you look at the entire outline boundary line of the reservation, mostly impoverished. Very. It's, it's difficult living. They don't get money. People are, it's an, it sounds like an impossible life. Of course, the suicide rate would, there would, there would be suicide and mm-hmm. there would be problems. Of course. I mean, how could there not be? It's, it's a hard, depressing life to be out there, but the only way to preserve the culture is to live out there. There's like 173,000 registered Navos living on the reservation, but there's like over 200,000 plus altogether. Okay. I think those are the numbers. I could be wrong, give or take. There's not a whole lot. There's about a quarter million of us left. And when you think about it, compared to the scale of the United States population, yeah, that's just a little couple drops right there. And so when I think of like somewhere to belong, I don't know, just looking at it. I like to look at things as a big picture, which sometimes maybe I shouldn't do. You don't belong in New Mexico. You're part white. Yeah. You don't belong in Florida. You're Native American. Get back to the reservation. Hmm. So where do you belong when you're not wanted in both realms, you know? So that picture always reminds, stays on my mind. It's like, damn, people in New Mexico didn't even want me around. People in Florida didn't want me around. Where do I belong? So that's why I always ideate that the topic, the discussion of you know suicide. Am I ever going to do it in the future? It's hard to say. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of sad to say. I know I sound cheerful and everything, but I'm just being real. I can't say no and I can't say yes. When I get in that type of mindset, I try to set goals for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to think of oh, such and such band is releasing a new album. They're going to go on tour. You should go check out that show. Which I just bought a ticket a couple nights ago to go see Lamb of God, mm. which is one of my favorite heavy metal bands. So I look forward to being able to look forward to things down the road like that gives me more reason to stay. Yeah. Like I play Frisbee golf. That's what all those are. So I look at tournaments to go play. So, you know, gives me hope, I guess. Gives me a place to belong. I find peace in watching the Frisbee just fly. You know, it's like, <laughs> I like to picture that myself, like the church of the flying disc, you know, Frisbetarian. When you die, your soul just gets stuck on the roof. That's like not a Navajo thing. That's a, no, that's, that's just, a, that's just stupid Florida white boy stuff. <laughs> Are there any specific myths around any of this stuff that you want to uh, call attention to? Sort of like I brought up, I, I mentioned Wendy O. Williams, how she mentioned that we have a right to it mm-hmm. that we shouldn't feel bad about like thinking about it. You know, we shouldn't feel, we shouldn't guilt ourselves. Like, I shouldn't think that way. I need, I need to do something. No, think about it. Mm-hmm. Not, not as in saying like, go do it, but you know, just, sure. just, just think about the pros and cons. You know, what are you leaving behind? What are you keeping? Just be responsible. That's what I try to always base a lot of things. Be responsible. Don't leave a mess. It's it's not a bad thing to discuss. It's not a bad thing to think about. It could be sad. It could be, you know, dark to be in that type of thought, but it's not it's not as bad as everybody makes it seem. Mm-hmm.
what else you got, man? I appreciate you. I really appreciate you. You, I'm going to share with the audience that in our email exchanges, you had some, um, but you were like, huh, I don't know if I'm going to, if I can do this or I want to do this, or I'm not sure. So I appreciate you meeting me, talking with me and sharing. Yeah. Thank you. Because that was just a hard thing for me to discuss amongst myself, even, you know, is this, should I be talking about this to myself? Right. Because I know if I tried to pay a, a therapist, you know, he the moment he hears me open my mouth, you're Baker acted. You're going to have to pay at least 10 grand to that hospital now. Can we strike a compromise and just pay me like five grand? <laughs> well, with the casino money, maybe enough from my ancestors. <laughs> are you I'll put a good, I will put a good word in. Are you just, are you starting to talk more like a Navajo? I, I talk Tonto. Oh, Jesus. That was one thing also still instructors at my school told us to do you know when people want to be like you know ignorant mm-hmm. play into it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so but i'm not saying you're being ignorant i'm just saying but i'll i'll play into the tonto thing i'll, I'll do the i heard it in the wind that i'll be i'll say stupid things like that to be funny um thanks man no problem sean i did actually have one question sure is it just you doing this or do you have like a team? I don't have shit. I have me. It's just you. Yeah. You are doing a kick-ass job. Thanks, man. It's easy to do something if you like it. I just like the space of uh, talking to people. So makes it easy. You know what I mean? Appreciate your, your compliment though. And uh, all right, we'll knock the 5,000 down to 4,000. I do accept Venmo and PayPal. <laughs> oh, I only do cash app. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. There's always something. Damn it. Well, hang in there. I don't want to be trite or, or kind of like weird about it. You know, hang in there. Do the best you can. Like I fuck platitudes. But I do hope that your days are okay. And uh, they do get better. I hope they do. I, you know, no problem. I know I know that's not a guarantee, but I hope they do. All right, bro. Hope your day goes well. Enjoy, go, enjoy making sandwiches today. Yeah, I will. All right, bro. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Brett down in Florida. Thank you, Brett. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com. Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. If you check out the show notes, you will also see a way in which you can leave us a recorded message. So there are plenty of options in terms of reaching out. In the show notes, you will also find ways you can help us out with a financial contribution, which we would greatly appreciate, as well as a link to an upcoming event. However you participate and or support, thank you. And that is all for episode number 133. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.